Blog Talk Radio. Hello, good morning everybody. It's April 15th and uh, this is um, Ursula Pottinger and uh, my wonderful friend and uh, business partner Anne Betts on our uh, monthly blog talk radio show. And we have something really fun for you today. We do. We have, an, we have an advice column <laughs> on the radio. I always... Ursula, I always wanted to be Dear Abby, or Ann Landers, you know, the name even fits. So this is a dream come true. I think especially because you and I have been coaches since, you know, the beginning of time, 13 years for me, like 18 years for you, something like that. And, you know, we just don't get to give advice nearly enough. I know, and it is so fun. I get a, you know, I have to say when I have a client who says to me, oh, you know, do you have some advice for me? My face literally lines up. I know. <laughs> well, see, we well, could, no we... coaching on that. I just want your opinion. I just want your, <laughs> your advice. It's like, oh, goody. <laughs> oh, it's like releasing the dam. Well, so what we're going to do... What we realized and why I wanted to do this is I started realizing that with a number of my clients, a lot of my clients, and this is true for Ursula as well, are, are newer coaches. Um, and so, you know, we'll be talking about neuroscience. I'll be coaching them. And they'll say, okay, now I really want some coaching on a client that I am struggling with. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm starting out as a coach, and what do I do with this client? And I often realize that those conversations, and we'll usually design them as more of a mentoring conversation. Do you want coaching mm-hmm. on this, or you actually, you know, do you want the, the at least some perspective from my experience? And that a huge part of that, of course, more and more for the last three years, is um, a neuroscience perspective. Yes. And so I thought, you know, these conversations, some of them are so fascinating that that we thought we would do them publicly. <laughs> Yes, I that know. Was my I know. Ursula, how about you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the, the the fun of um, I feel quite honestly, and I I'm almost uh, hesitant to say that I also like the process of analysis of you know that's my my left hemisphere just gets a kick out of that. Um, it's it's reading and listening and looking and thinking. Well, what really is going on and what might be helpful there? So I find that uh, you know I find that very exciting and uh, really a lovely way of um, of certainly having a conversation which I. I also think it's going to be very helpful for our listeners because uh, looking at the questions that we have received, when I looked at them, I thought, you know, I understand that. I have been there. I have had um, a client in that situation. So I think overall, I think everybody will find it helpful. Yeah, good. So here's the, so everybody out there in in blog radio land, here's what we're going to do. We've got a few questions that people wrote in, um, and so we'll work on those. If you have a question, you can certainly, um, there'll be a point at, at which you can call in. Um, if you do, just be thinking about how you can frame your question in a way that nobody will recognize themselves. Um, mm-hmm. That is really important in our in our business. Um, you can also, if you like, um, is there a way on Blog Talk they can type in, or you can certainly message me on Facebook, um, and Beth's on Facebook is maybe the easiest way, if you, um, because then we can make the question generic, which is what yes. we've done. Yep. Yep. So I think people are just anxious to have us dive in. What about you? Yeah, and I'm anxious to dive in. <laughs> okay. So why well, don't you start with the first one that we have? Yep. Yeah, great. So um, we've got the the first two are sort of linked, but we'll do them one at a time. Um, The first one is working with a client that has uh, low self-awareness. And some of the ways that this person seems to be showing up is impatient under stress, blaming, complaining, and um, sort of has an I'm right and you're wrong or you're stupid worldview is what we're looking at here. And um, certainly, boy, Ursula, as you say, have been there, done that. I've, I've had folks like this. <laughs> um, yeah. 
There's no, absolutely, and I think when uh, I think when uh, particularly when they are in some kind of a leadership role, that can be really a challenge um, from a coaching perspective to uh, open up their worldview and uh, you know get them to understand that uh, not uh, not everybody thinks that way. Yeah, and the other thing that this person says, I feel like I am chasing this person. You know, we've talked about things that to help this person be more present, more more aware, but I feel like I'm chasing them. So mm-hmm. from a um what I love about this program, Ursula, is that we don't have to provide all the advice in the world and I know that there's amazing coaches out there who have lots of other tips and tricks and tools. Mm-hmm. Um to, to do this, and if you do, you can always go to our Be Above um, webpage on Facebook, like the page, you know, certainly post in your comments. It's a great place. But we're going to give you the neuroscience perspective. So yes. to us, this sounds like a person who has under stress, has a default of going to what we would call their lower left hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And so the left hemisphere, and if you've been with us on other shows and have read any of our stuff, you know that that, um, we look at the brain, we look at the hemispheres of the brain, not in terms of calling someone left-brained or right-brained, that's not accurate, but we really look at the hemispheres in terms of what gets activated in a certain situation. And in our reactive state, what we call below the line, people get activated in one of two big buckets, and one bucket is rigidity, and one bucket is chaos. Yes. So this is a person who, under stress, has a default behavior um, and reaction that is in rigidity. Yes, and I think that uh, one uh, hint from uh, the uh, from the question that really pointed me to this was uh, the the sentence that uh, this person has a tendency to blame and complain, yeah. and I think uh, particularly the left hemisphere, when it is in rigidity, has a tendency to blame. Yeah, because the left really sees the separateness in the world, and that's there can be some very positive aspects to that. If you can't see things in linear order, it's very difficult to get anything done. But in its reactive state, it goes to the other thing is you know I'm right, you're wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm smart, you're stupid. It's very very much can over calibrate toward separateness, which brings in this rigidity of that there is one way you know, one way to get things done. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the, um, uh, this, this part of, I think I'm chasing him, ch- chasing yeah. him? What do, you, what, do you see, what do you see there? I was, I'm really curious about that. Well, sort of maybe a little would... bit of the elusiveness of, of, yeah. of that person. Well, so here's what I would make up. And again, you know, what's really fun about this, and we, 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 by the way, big picture context, the reason we had people write things in again was so that voices couldn't be recognized. You know, we wanted to be more rigorous. I'm trying not to use pronouns, um, him or her. <laughs> so, yeah. well, it's, let's call it that. it. No pronouns. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember where I was going with that. The we were talking about chasing. Oh, I know what I was going to say. It would be, you know, obviously we would get a lot more information if we were talking to the coach. But unfortunately, that might be then harder to keep confidentiality. So I'm just going to make something up about this person. Mm-hmm. What, I'm making, what I'm making up based on my experience um, in the world of neuroscience and consciousness is that this is a person who has probably gotten far in their career by activating some of the positive aspects of the left hemisphere that mm-hmm. along you know along with the blame and the you know superiority and all of that there probably comes an ability to focus an ability to move things forward an ability to um analyze and all of these things have gotten rewarded over the years and and because this this kind of um this part of the brain uh, is very much rewarded, especially in the corporate world, and this is a corporate person. Well, Mm -hmm. it's like being, you know, whatever you get 
activated there that may be above the line, you kind of just bring the below the line along with it in the same mm. weather weather system. So um, that's what I'm making up. And so the chasing him part is that this is a person without as much default neural networks toward some of the things that live more on the right. So of course you're chasing him because the you know, what we know about um, neuroplastic, neuroplasticity and neural pathways is that the more we use them, the stronger and more automatic they become. So mm-hmm. no matter how much the person might want to be more compassionate or might want to be more um, aware and present, the pull toward what they've always done is going to be strong. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that, so uh, yeah, go ahead. So th- yeah, so then um you know what we know about um you know when a person has more of a left hemisphere default what we know about that is that um having them connect to the right hemisphere can be extremely helpful but what I'm also reading from this message is that it's been it's been tried and it's not worked. Well, here's what I would say about that. A um, couple of things, and I, you know, again, I'm, I actually don't remember which coach sent this in to me because I just cut and pasted them into one document, so forgive me if it's you. Um, I forgot who said this. And so um, this may be something that the coach has already tried. But the, the thing that I would do, if this were my client, what I would do is make sure that they is have a really good conversation with them about the right and left hemisphere both about their strengths in the left and really acknowledging from them for that, as well as if you lay it out, especially in sort of a quadrant way, you know, the above the line mm-hmm. part of the left and the below the line and above the line part of the right and the below the line, um, it, that you can then uh, sh- say, you know, look, you've got these strengths, but you also have these challenges. And the the answer here is to do our best to start creating some defaults toward the other side. And it's a, you know, it's a step-by-step process. Mm-hmm. The thing that I've found with more clients who have been rewarded for some more of their left hemisphere thinking and want to kind of just come back to logic and analysis or blame, etc., if they understand what's going on, um, they can't, they will come more on board because it's less about your – they can't really, you know, make it a as much of a right and wrong. I'm a good person or a bad person. You can say, look, you're really talented here. It's like having a very strong left arm. You have worked out your left arm a lot at the gym. Mm-hmm. What I want to do with you is help you work out your right arm, and it's not going to be as strong. You're not going to lift the heavy weights, and it's not going to be the place you go to when you're under stress. But I want to help you get that right arm as strong as you it can be so that you have access to that under stress as well. Because what we know is the most effective people are those who've got really good access to both, especially mm-hmm. under stress. Yes, yeah, no, that uh, that's uh, wonderful. That makes a lot of a lot of sense, and I think that uh, people that have great access to the left hemisphere really understand logic and analysis very well. So I think when we can come to them with something that is logical, um, you know, they are far more open to to trying it. Yeah, it's um, a really. It, we're, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the the right hemisphere. Somebody's got a question about a client who seems to us like they might be have a little more challenges there. Here's what Ursula and I have noticed is that if the if people who are struggling with some more left hemisphere defaults maybe have been more rewarded and have more neural networks that lead from the left is maybe how I would say it. We don't, I wouldn't call them left brain because we're using both sides for everything, but there is a, certainly a place of where you're kind of tipping. Um, that when they understand why, when they understand why, they can look at you know, the diagram, they can look at the analysis they will say, oh, therefore it makes sense that I do these things even if they are mm-hmm. uncomfortable. They've been doing that their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, 
I used to think I preferred working with people who had more challenges about, you know, some of who were more, you know, creative and flexible. And in Myers-Briggs, we'd say the P's rather than the J's. <laughs> um, what I've realized is that the left, the left folks going right, they're, they have the discipline to do it. The mm-hmm. right folks going left will understand why it's important, but often don't have the discipline to do it. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, it's they, harder. <laughs> well, they 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 have an, they have another fifteen pieces to add. Then, rather than you know focusing on on one thing, I can I can so absolutely see this. And I think the other thing that uh, that I love to do with my clients, it, it does it really does not matter whether they um, have a left or right um, hemisphere dominance. I think it. It really works works for both. Is really looking at the evidence, both above the line and below the line. And you mentioned celebrating. Um, is really looking at the evidence. What have they been creating? Um, that's uh, you know that is you know either above the line or below the line is in the right and left, so that they can see that there really is such a gift in in both. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that we can do for all of you who are wondering, okay, well, what is below the line left? What is below the line right? I'm going to post something. You have to go to our Be Above Facebook page after the call, um, and please like it because we're trying to you know, generate as many likes as possible. Go to the Be Above <coughs> Facebook page, and I'm going to put a, um, a PDF out there called Diagonal Thinking. And it gives you a real big picture view of what's below the line right, what's below the line left, what's above the line right and above the line left, so that you can start, it's even something you could share with your clients, so that that you can start identifying that and celebrating the strengths that we all have in each. And we all have places where, or situations where we go to one of the four quadrants and kind of, it's not that the others aren't firing as well, but it's sort of like, where are we leading from? Like, mm-hmm. what's the, who, which, which quadrant is sort of taking the lead or shaping the, shaping the conversation? And so yes, that may absolutely. help. You know, I realize I have this very firmly in my head, but you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, that's complex, what's above, what's below. We'll put that out there, and maybe that will entice you to go like our page if you haven't liked it yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I want to go on to the second part of this question, which was this sort of very similar question, below the line, left, and this person is saying, you know, an executive type had no imagination and couldn't really get the concept of metaphor or feel anything in, in their body. I, I Sorry, I did pronounce too. Um, for me, again, this really speaks to that this is a person who is more comfortable, more conscious of his left hemisphere uh, attributes. That mm-hmm. might be a, that might be another way to think about dominance because we really cannot say dominance that was proven to not be true. What we could say is, what are you conscious to? And I think people get conscious to sort of the strengths that they have in either uh, left or right, and then they reinforce those and lead from there. So what we know about the right hemisphere, right, is that that is the place where metaphor lives. (laughs) That's the hemisphere that processes metaphor. So someone who is, you know, more aware of their left hemisphere is not listening to the messages they're getting about metaphor. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, and I I really love what you said early on. It's a it's a small it's a you know small step. it's a it's a baby step uh, baby baby step approach. I I do remember working with a client uh, many years ago who also had struggled with you know coming up with metaphors and seeing the relevance and you know thinking of them and working with them and uh, you know it 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 took a little bit of time before um, this person got uh, got used to that idea and uh, and what I do know now uh, is that. You know, this, I have to say this person in order to avoid he, he or she, which is, right. which is really a struggle. So this person um, really loves metaphors now, but it, you know, it took a while to, um, you know, to get this person there. Yeah, 
Well, and I think, again, going back to explaining why, um, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful show uh, on called Parenthood, and, and some of you may know it, and one of the characters is a young boy who has autism, and I was watching the other day, and his um, cousin picked him up from school and said something, and and the boy looked at her, he's, he's in like a junior high, I think at this point, he looked at her and he said, is that for real or is that a metaphor? You need to tell me. Mm-hmm. And often in certain forms of autism, you do get some right brain compromise, and this is not an uncommon situation where um, the left brain takes things very literally, whereas the right hemisphere is the one that's able to process meaning and process the metaphor. So again, I go back to when someone says, oh, um, I don't do metaphor, I don't, that is to say let's um, sort of the, make, it, make it clear to them and make it real to them why they might want to and mm-hmm. think, of it as a, think of it as a training exercise. And I have to tell you some, a funny story. I was, I did, this did not happen to me, but to one of our students had been working with, a, with, this was a guy, and said, you know, metaphor. And the guy said, oh, you know, I don't do metaphor. I'm like a bull in a china shop with metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what is true is that we talk so much in metaphors. I yes, mean, really, 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 we, I think we use it unconsciously all the time. And I think when we start pointing out to people that, you know, we already do it, um, I think that is actually really, really helpful. Yeah, that it's really embedded in how we, it's embedded in how we think. We can't speak without, you know, try to, um, I was in a, a CTI course of fundamentals um, and uh, someone in the course got really excited about metaphor. I just loved her, and she started. Um, she started like we had a we had a flip chart up on the wall, and and she had the job of writing down every metaphor that everybody said. And I was really aware that there were two types of metaphor. There were the ones that actually don't even get processed as metaphor anymore, and then there were the ones that were sort of fresh and alive. And so things like, um, you know, if you say I'm between a rock and a hard place, mm-hmm. we don't even, we don't even, that doesn't even trigger a visual because no. we're so used to hearing it. Yeah. Or, you know, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling a little down. Well, mm-hmm. down, it's not literal, it's a metaphor. But we don't, our brains don't even process it as metaphor because we are so habituated to it. So to really use metaphor well with clients, we also need to be aware that it has to kind of um, um, create a picture. That's what the right brain wants is the picture of something. You know, instead of a rock in a hard place, I feel like I'm swimming in an ocean and I can't reach the shore. Mm-hmm. Now, you mm-hmm. get a picture from that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because you have, to make, you have to actually make sense of it and imagine yourselves, what if I were swimming and it, what would that feel like? It evokes all of these things. And that's why we want to do it. We have a, I have wrote a blog post one time called Metaphors Are Lint Catchers for the Brain um, about why I believe so strongly in metaphor. Because if I say, if, you know, if I say to you, gosh, today I feel like I'm swimming in the ocean and I can't reach the shore. You almost put yourself in that ocean, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can, I can feel it. And actually the picture is right in front of me. It's, it's, I don't even need to close my eyes and I can see it. Yeah. And it gives you not just the feeling of frustration. You get the, um, you know, the ga- maybe gasping for air, exhaustion, the, mm-hmm. you know, what is the ocean, what is the shore, you get all of these peripheral things that are sort of floating around in your consciousness because that's what the right brain does, keeps a lot of things sort of floating there. And then a metaphor helps organize them. And because you say it in language, we'll, we'll connect it over to the left hemisphere. Um, you know, I'm wondering if um, if an assignment for a client like that, um, uh, for example, um, have him take his camera and take pictures of mm-hmm. uh, of some metaphorical 
um, you know, some metaphorical images. Uh, you know, we use trees a lot uh, in our metaphors. I think, you know, I'm, you know, I'm rooted. Uh, I'm, mm. you know, I'm st- as strong as an oak tree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering whether, you know, just helping a client to just connect also to the fun of it and the creativity yeah, of I it. Yeah, I love that. I love that with certain clients, I think that would be great. I think with others, even just saying, especially if you can get them bought in, the one part is can you get them bought into it? Can you get, and Mm -hmm. that's the logic and analysis, and here's what's going on in your brain, and you have two halves of your brain, you're really good in one, we're going to develop the other, all of that. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I love that photography if they're into that. I think even keeping a notebook and challenging them to come back with 20 metaphors that they've heard, tuning their awareness to how people speak in metaphor. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's I think it's also once uh, once people have a, a bigger awareness of how much it's used and where it's all uh, creeping up, it's it's less threatening, I would imagine, to yeah. to to use it and say, oh, it's all around me. Everybody is talking in metaphors already. Well, and this what this does also is celebrates that actually they're not just left brain. Because if they can recognize a metaphor and realize that they, you know, they have this story, like my bull in the china shop person, mm-hmm. you know, they have this story they don't do metaphor, and yet they use a metaphor to tell the story. Like, come on. So if they can tune in and say, oh, my, they're all around me, and I'm saying them, I just never realized. Because if they couldn't process it, that would mean they really had right hemisphere deficit. But if they can process a metaphor, it's basically saying, look, you're more right brain than you thought. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to highlight and help build on the strength that's already there. That also creates a real bridge um, for the client. Yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's a. It's a. It's a very fascinating uh, part of the brain. Um, I, I love the information we get from from both our hemispheres. Yeah. And I think the other thing that this person asked said is he, you know, couldn't get the concept of metaphor and feeling in the body. Well, one of the other really fat. I mean, there were so many. I felt like when when I was in in what I fondly refer to as neuroscience school, um, I thought <laughs> I was on a, it, it was so joyful for me. Um, the part of it was really joyful. The part because I felt like I was on a treasure hunt, and and like I you know I would turn the corner. Speaking of metaphor, and there would yeah, be I just clue. I just wanted to say there are two mud metaphors: the treasure hunt and right. turn the corner. <laughs> right. I can't help it. Um, so, again, your client, if they couldn't track with me, then they really wouldn't be able to do metaphor. But if you can track with me, you're doing metaphor. So we're just going to strengthen the pathway that's there. Um, so I would turn the corner, and a piece of the puzzle of human being would fall into place. And I remember a big piece of the puzzle at one point was that the the information from our body flows through something called the vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S. We are in love with the vagus nerve. But that vagus nerve, which is giving us information from the body, is coming into the right hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And the right hemisphere doesn't have the ability to focus precisely or name things very well. That's much more a function of the left. So you've got information coming in, you know, coming in like to the the dock. The ship is coming in to the dock where there's no naming. Mm -hmm. There's no real precision. And so we don't know, often people who have lived their lives sort of naming, analyzing, and being precise, they, they have these feelings, but they don't know what to do with them and so they say they don't have any because mm-hmm. they don't know how to name. They don't know how to bring that information over from the right into the focused, precise place of the left. Mhm. Mhm. Yes, I, I, uh, I really get that. I do have. Um, I have quite a few examples of um, of you know people having challenges with with, with that um and again i find that the little 
you know, piece by piece baby step approach is is really helpful. Um, I remember once um, I had a I had a wonderful client like that who's you know sort of body. <laughs> I was always saying his body, her his or her body wasn't really there. <laughs> we're failing. It was sort we're of failing. like we're yeah. Just it's to let like, you all know we're failing. We're okay. failing. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, and uh, it was interesting. Um, I had uh, I had this client um, just uh, just use her hands as a starting point. Mm-hmm. It's saying like you know, okay, so like, what are your hands doing right now? Just look at your mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. Well, they're you know they're on the you know they're on the uh, they're on the chair on the on the on the armrest. Well, what does it feel like? Cold, warm, smooth, rough. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of like um, it, it's really helping. You know, it's really helping a person noticing that they actually have a body. <laughs> that I actually have a body. Well, oh, I know. Here's, the, here's the, the the reason. You know, the rationale and the reason to be more connected to the body. And I've had clients say to me, um, "Oh, you know, I, you know, I like, that's not that's not where I give, gather my information. You know, that those kind of questions aren't really great for me." And 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 what I've what I think as coaches, because we are so collaborative by nature, if a client says, "Oh, that sort of line of questioning doesn't really work for me," where is it in your body? Um, I think we we tend to want to respect that, and we want to say, "Oh, okay, well, we'll do it a different way." And I. I've always done that. Now what I do is I say, let me tell you why why this is important from a brain perspective. Mm-hmm. Because we want to we want to have this connection. We want to have a conscious connection to our vagus nerve. Um, because the more conscious our connection is there and, and intentional it is, the more we are able to self-regulate and emotionally regulate. It is directly, directly linked to emotional intelligence. And we know from the marvelous work by Daniel Goleman that your degree of emotional intelligence is correlated to your success in life. So saying you know, I don't, those kind of questions don't work, or I, you know, I really, you know, I'm not connected to my body, but that's okay. For me, it's not okay. I want to help people uh, with baby steps, like as Ursula said, like you're noticing your hands, or just starting to notice um, that there's going to be a physical part of any emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, will helps build that connection, and the long term it actually makes you more able to self-regulate when you're upset, and that is huge, huge to your effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'm so aware how I think also, um, you know, I don't know what you think of that, but I think that we're really also culturally so... Um, what is the word I want to use, you know, trained and, you know, somewhat conditioned to just use our fabulous brains versus um, really noticing, you know, where are we? I mean, we're carrying this amazing body with us at all times. It's the one, the one thing that we have access to, like, constantly. Right. Well, and the thing, I, I just love that, my dear, because the thing that I really have come to firmly believe and those those of those uh, of our fellow coaches out there who work with horses, I think, know this be- better than anything. So our body is an animal, and um, it's just like working with horses. If you're doing leadership coaching with horses, the horses don't lie; they don't judge. They just mirror whatever emotion is actually going on. Well, our bodies are are that. So our brains will lie to us, judge, manipulate, twist, convince. They have, they believe what they, you know, they, we believe what fits with our existing reality. Very hard to, you know, bring in new things for some people, many of us. But our bodies, our bodies just tell the truth. And right. we, you know, and we resonate to this with each other. So you know if somebody, you walk into a meeting and, you, and somebody's upset and, they, and you say, hey, you know, Bob, how are you doing today? He says, yeah, I'm fine. Well, you know he's not fine. Your body is your body is reading his body. His body is not fine. He's got chemicals going through. Maybe he's mad about something, and we know it and we feel it. But we live in this um, social contract that says, "Oh, we don't talk about that. Oh, we don't go there." 
Right, right. And we don't sort of go. I'm sorry, just the same it's, thing. It's, well, it's fascinating to me, and I wonder why that is. Why are we so afraid of our bodies? You know, why are we, why are we so afraid to feel what's going on there? We're, we are desperately afraid of the truth. And the, the irony is, is that when you just open your eyes to it and are present, and, you know, what we know at the Coaches Training Institute, we do a process called process. I didn't mean that to be like that. We do a, there's a skill that we use called process coaching, and other people use it as well, which is designed to just help us be present to what is. And what we see when we're present to what is is that it actually releases. It's fascinating. But we're mm-hmm. so afraid. And that kind of leads me to the next question, which is this is about clients who are dealing with depression and this person is, is doing, it, doing it right. They're working with a therapist and coaching. And this person, um, the, the coach wrote in, they want coaching but do not want to connect with their emotions or the physical experience. Mm-hmm. So um, we do know that depression is a lower right hemisphere function. It often comes because the right hemisphere sees and takes in everything, which is if you really look at everything in the world, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of unworkability. And and mm-hmm. it's, uh, for people who have a lot of access there, it can be overwhelming. And that's what I make up about this person. She doesn't want to connect with her emotions or the physical experience because she's terrified it will overwhelm her. And yeah. it's actually the way out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. That's uh, that really is uh, that really is fascinating. That really is quite, and I think that really is a challenge. Yeah. You know, in in this think. in this case, yeah, I'm pondering: is there like what would I do in this case? Well, I think again, I would, um, I would explain the the quadrants of the brain and just say you know it's a you know each one of these they're they're just a shadow of the light and we come by them honestly so the the clients who are who are stuck and you know can't process don't aren't aware they can do metaphor and they're blaming and all of that well they get this because they're really good at a whole bunch of stuff they're really good at focus and analysis and all of that well the same is true with this this um, sweet being who is working on depression. Um, they they have the capacity to um, see a lot and take in a lot of information, and that can be really overwhelming. Mm. So they need to go diagonally above to the other. Kind of, um, I would say that probably what they need is to be able to focus on one thing rather than everything and develop the neural pathways to do that. The other place that I would point this person is if she's, and this may be something the coach is doing already. I, you know, have a lot of faith in the brilliance of coaches out there. Um, With someone who is really, really afraid of connecting with emotions and the physical experiences, Ursula and I, for years, we we have suggested things that we call trick the brain processes. Because going directly to emotions are off, is often just way too uh, confronting. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you can go to the metaphor of the emotion, or this is why I think art therapy with people in depression often works so well. If you can go to the color of it, if you can go to the draw me, the emotion, it's a little less threatening um, because it's, a step, it's sort of a, a step back from it but it can mm-hmm. give people a doorway in. Mm-hmm. So that's where my intuition went with the depression client, is working with, with um, collage, image, metaphor, as well as helping, as, as helping her develop some capacity to actually not think of everything, but just focus on one thing. 
Well, and you know what sort of immediately comes to mind is that if that is really a challenge for the client and they really don't want to go there um, for fear of whatever, fill in the blank, you know, I think is is sort of resting in a little bit more of um, you know, list making and a um, <laughs> little bit more in, you know, so, you know, what's one step you'd like to take and, um, you know, what, you know, what action would you like to take? It, mm. It's really, it's a, it's a, it's helping them shift out of, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there to saying, okay, well then let's go somewhere else and see where that leads us. Get it, and, and it's really true when we're all in overwhelm because um, I can certainly go to emotional over emotional overwhelm is just the hallmark of the lower right hemisphere, um, and at its worst can really lead to depression and paralysis. And and I know that when I've gotten to you know I'm looking at all my lists and I'm trying to figure out how I'm getting out of town to another country and um you know all the handouts and everything I can go to this place of like you know Calgon take me away make it stop. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. If I make a list and if I start, when I make a list and when I just start checking things off, like do something, do anything, I start getting more what I would call coherent. I start getting more focused. I can start making some progress and the overwhelm uh, calms down. And so what we're looking at in both of these cases with the sort of judging and blaming and with the overwhelm, we're looking at there is a bit of, of... the coach helping provide the support and the tight accountability to start making those baby steps because they will make a difference and don't give up. Don't give up. Yes. Yeah. It's neuro yeah. it's neuroplasticity and you yes. gotta do it again and again and again. Don't give up or don't think, oh, you know, I tried metaphor three times with this guy and it's not helping. Don't give up. You mm-hmm. are building you are like a trainer in the gym and you've gotta hang in there um, and keep the client knowing that what they're doing is they're building a new neural pathway. They won't lose the old. They're not going to lose anything good about the old, but they're going to expand their capacity. I really think that, uh, you know, you, t- you talk about neuroplasticity, and, uh, you know, we have a wonderful tool uh, for that in our workshop. But I, um, what I'm really uh, reminded of is that even doing something with neuroplasticity for this client that um, does not, you know, cannot or does not want to connect to her, her emotions and her physical body, even that might be really helpful because it is really, um, it's a sort of a very analytical kind of uh, tool of saying, yes. well, what are the neural pathways here? You know, for example, take a pen and make a note of that for these neural pathways and then use another pen of a different color for the other neural pathways. And let's just look there, what's being built. Um, and what are the neural pathways that are leading you to A and, and, and to B? And I really find some of that so non-threatening and so more like an observer. Um, that might be yeah. also helpful. Well, and I, I really want to highlight what you're saying. There's a, there's a, what, we see, um, what we see about above the line versus below the line, and this really ties to our seven levels of effectiveness if you're kind of new to our, new to our work, and we hold that there are three levels that we call below the line that are detrimental to life. You will not produce any, uh, any long-lasting positive results. And then there are four that are above the line. Um, above the line, one of the things that happens is we increase our ability to be in what the Buddhists call observer mind. Yeah. And so we're able to notice our below the line. We don't get rid of it, but we can notice it and be present to it. And again, as Ursula said in our in our workshop, in our workshops on advanced coaching, um, we give a lot of tools which really support people in being present to their below the line by being an observer. Yes. And I'm a firm believer in I've said it again and again on this call, like celebrating what's there. And so I think about this this person who's not connected to her body or her emotions, really doing some, um, even some analysis about, well, where do you feel a connection? Let's not worry about the whole thing and all of that, but what emotions do you feel like you've got some access to? 
where what do you, where are you comfortable with? What is strong for you? What parts mm-hmm. of your body, you know, what physical sensations are you comfortable with? Because you can, just by noticing them, you'll start expanding and creating. Well, and the, absolutely, and these could be, you know, above the line emotions. You know, what about yeah. joy? What about yeah. delight? What about ease? I think sometimes um, we, it is easier for a client to really appreciate where they are, where they are above the line so that over time they have more access to the below the line emotions and their physical sensations for sure. Right, and I think part of what then also can get really demonstrated in a case like that is that when we shut down, we shut down. And so by not being able to be present to some of the more difficult things that might be in depression, it's often not being able to be present to disappointment, sadness, grief. That's, um, you know, it's interesting in the original work on consciousness by David Hawkins, he puts the energy field of grief higher than apathy or, right. um, or let's see, I, I can't, hopelessness. Because by the, if someone can actually cry... There's more energy there. And mm-hmm. so those are the things we're trying to protect ourselves from, but they actually move the energy. And yes. what happens is you can't, if you can't be present below the line, you don't have access above the line. This is why we call it depression. The chemicals just don't click in. So there's a way of helping just expand the balloon of, of the awareness. So um, mm-hmm. yes. that might help. Yes. Well, let's go okay, to what the last we one. Yeah, we have one yes. last one, which I think is just fascinating, and it kind of takes us to another aspect. We've been spending a lot of time on the two hemispheres this call, and there's a lot more to the brain than that. So this one, somebody wrote to me and said, you know, I've got this client who procrastinates, and I've really explored with them a lot of the emotional stuff around that. And it's really, the truth of the matter is, it's not, they're not procrastinating out of fear, which a lot of our procrastination does come from that. But this is, we've done that work. And they're emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent and all of that. They're not afraid to do it. They just don't do it. So I thought that was really, really cool and a great other place to focus for today. <laughs> well, and I think it does, it, it's really, really, I think it's so, so apropos for coaches because we do give, um, you know, assignments to our clients and the, the, the assignments are always in service or something. So I, I, I'm totally there. Um, you know, when when they're not doing it or not even doing what they really are wanting to do, I'm always sort of a little bit flabbergasted. So I think this is a great question. Yeah. So here's what I would make up about this person or the place that I would look, is if it's not fear-based, so they're not overwhelmed and paralyzed, but they're just not interested. Well, we know that the prefrontal cortex, which is the place of, Um, vision and planning and all of that. This may not be the only reason, but this is the place I'm going to go because it might be helpful. We know that that we need a certain chemical balance, and we've talked about that on this radio program before, talk about this a lot in our classes. We need to have, it's known as the Goldilocks of the brain because it wants just the right amount of stimulation but not too much in order to be at its most focused and that's when at least when I feel motivated, when I've got just the right amount of stimulation, but not so much that I'm overwhelmed. And so when I look at this client with non-fear-based procrastination, my place that I would go with them is some real inquiry around, is what they have on their to-do list um, exciting, interesting, mm-hmm. aligned with their values? Um, because if it's not, then there's not going to be the right chemical balance for them to get into action. Yeah, yeah, it's really that's really 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 cool um, because I, I mean certainly I know from a personal perspective, um, you know I. I get into action when I'm inspired by something. You know, yeah. you and I had a, you know, have just uh, spent a, a week on the road, and a lot of our conversation revolved around if the stake is big enough. And yes. I'm really getting this about 
uh, not only this client, but I think human beings in general, is that if the stake is big enough, we jump into action. If it's, if it's most aligned with what we really, really want and what we value, we are unstoppable. Yeah, this came up because um, stake, that's S-T-A-K-E, if the stake is big enough. And then if you're, of course, if you're a dog, then it's the S-T-E-A-K, stake. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about how I actually, um, we had a real tragedy here in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, where um, one of my son's classmates went hiking in the Canadian Rockies and with his dad and over spring break, and they are lost and they can't be found, and it's bad weather over there, and we're just have you know pretty much everybody's. It's been two weeks now, and 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 there's not a lot of hope, and this is really really tough on the senior class and tough on my son, and and I was thinking about leadership because we were at a conference where there's a lot of conversation about leadership, and I was thinking about how. Um, we show up as as leaders in many ways when there's something that really calls us forth. And I was imagining the search for these guys, and I was imagining how in times like that and when I've been part of that where the stake is big, everybody just falls into place and does, like, like brings forth their gifts and mm-hmm. doesn't elbow each other aside. You don't get into this. Like even the people we were talking about earlier who are really into blame – even those people, if the stake is big enough, they're going to set that aside because there's going to be something that's way more important than their own ego. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's so inspiring, and it really it really catapults us into action. I just want to bookmark something um, when we're done with that question. We've actually had somebody in the chat room asking a question on uh, oh, on an yes. item, and I'd like to I'd like to get that. Um, but um, what what else is there to say about uh, someone with non fear based procrastination? So really, if the stake is big enough, if it's inspiring enough, so really creating some. Uh, some you know stimulation because that is what the prefrontal cortex certainly needs. Yeah, I think that that's you know for me the without without talking with them more, um, this coach has already really explored the fear part. So I think the the next place to explore is the is the motivation is the stake because here's what I know. I was talking to there was another I had another conversation about procrastination earlier today, and here's what I know for myself and this may be just me but. When um, when the stake is big enough and where what I'm up to is big enough, like it really is what I'm here to do, I do the stuff like the banking. I figure yeah. it out because I have to. Even the stuff that in and of itself is not stimulating, I've got such stimulation going on that I'm just like, okay, got to do my taxes, got to do these other things. I get it done. Um, you know, this year... I hate doing taxes. I have all sorts of stories about that, you know, that I could bore you with for hours. But I needed to get them done so Noah could go to college. You know what? I damn well got them done. And not only that, yeah. Ursula got ours done. She's, the stake was big enough for both of us because I, yeah, I needed to be above absolutely. taxes. We were all like on the get Noah to college, right? You know, that was big <laughs> enough. It really yeah, was. It was. Absolutely, you know, for you it was uh, Noah, and for me it was both Noah and you. You know, I wanted yeah. to support you, and I wanted to support Noah. And I have kids, and co- I've had kids in college. You know, my uh, mine are well past that point, but I do know how much work it is. And so you are absolutely right. Um, that is really it's that is inspiring, and you know, and a very very well said. And even the things that are sort of a bit of a nuisance, like paperwork and taxes, will still you know, if the vision, if the stake is big enough and we're inspired enough, we even will do the nitty-gritty. Um, so let's, let me... Different, they just, and I just want to say one more thing, and they take on a slightly different flavor if they are in service of, um, you know, where am I going in my life? So that would be the place I'd look at with that. So, yeah, what's in the chat room? I'm fascinated. In the chat room, um, um, someone is asking um, that um, she's had a, she's had a, a client uh, for a reasonably, reasonably long uh, time, and the client has really shifted uh, and changed and um, really um, has, made, has made some changes in her life and um, was sort of saying, you know, I'm sort of done with coaching um yet the the 
the awareness, the self-awareness um, has sort of shifted again to some of the, um, what we would call, you know, below the line or less effective ways. And so the question is, what can I bring alive for this client um, in a consciousness so that she can see that she's sort of slipping back to the way things used to be? Oh, well, wow. Here's, here's well, the you know, first we, place I would... I, I, yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead. You, okay. you go where you would go, and then, you know, I'll, I'll see if that's where I would go. So go ahead. Well, the first, the first thing I would do, I think, is I would bring out the seven levels. And I would just say, let's do a little snapshot view of your life here. And just, you know, maybe bring out, we often use the seven levels in conjunction with sort of a wheel of life. You know, looking at four, five, six, eight different areas of life, um, friends, job, and say, where are you? What rings true for you? Where, and as well as, um, you know, when, where are you? When, when have you been at your best here? And what's true now? Um, might be a way of bringing up some self-awareness. Where were you going to go, Ursula? Well, I I was going to go to uh, neuroplasticity and really looking at these are the effective uh, pathways that have been built and here are the less effective pathways that are, you know, still being used and what would this client like to focus on? What what else would she like to continue to do within the coaching arrangement that would continue to strengthen the above the line pathways? So looking at where are there where are there some above the line pathways and yes. and what else? Yep. Yeah, really I like that really celebrating say saying, you know, let's check in on the coaching and where um, what have you created that is a new above the line default? We mm-hmm. often use we often use like two different colors. We'll use blue for above the line, red for below the line. That's just what we do. Um, and saying you know let's let's uh, let's uh, you know use something to represent all of the new defaults that you have that keep you above the line. You know managing your you know for me I have a new default when with my son for example where he gets irrational and I I stay more calm and I you know that would be something to celebrate and then say what's still below the line that comes mm-hmm. up especially and the place that I often will point people to that that is a, can be a blind spot is they'll say well I'm not really like that but you know it comes out under stress yes yep and mm-hmm. then saying, great, celebrate, you have created these new defaults, you've got some neural, neuroplasticity about that. What, as you said then, what else? Where else would you like to have more automatic defaults? Where are you still defaulting? That is in a and way that so- are not effective. Right, and I think sometimes it can also be helpful when we're actually using different areas of life and and really looking at, well, you know, let's look at the, you know, what about health and what about money? What about extended family? What about... Um, you know, what, whatever areas of life they are, rather than having it a big picture conversation, is really saying, well, let's, let's pull your life apart and let's see which area there are um, some, you know, below the line uh, pathways that you know are there that you would like to change. So that might also be helpful is, is really honing in on an, on an area. Yeah, and even even you know doing some reflection and being able to say where were you, where you know look at this and you know in these areas, um, where were you when we started, and where are you now, and yes. that can that can be part of the celebration of yes you've built new defaults and then what are the areas where that still especially under stress pull you to behaviors that are not effective, and how can mm-hmm. we work there? So yes. hopefully that yep. will help. Great question. Well, I think yep. that's pretty much our time for today. I it do want to say, I want to say a couple things in the last couple of minutes about what we've got coming up because if you are intrigued by this conversation and these tools, we've got a whole bunch of stuff. So we have module one of our advanced coaching program, which is neuroscience, consciousness, and um, transformational coaching. 
That's starting in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, April 25th. We have a weekend. Toronto, May 2nd. And London, England on May 16th. So that is all. Those all still have space available. We'd love to have you with us. That is for experienced coaches. Um, we do occasionally offer something that is also open to um, uh, consultants and uh, HR professionals. We call uh, neuroscience and ex- executive coaching and organizational transformation. And yes. we have that. That one we're offering in London, England, um, the 4th of July weekend, and we'll also be doing that in Toronto next fall. So if you are a consultant and not a coach, you know, t- check that out and join us in one of those locations. Yes, and all the information is on our website, beaboveleadership.com. Um, if you have any questions, you can also email me. Um, my uh, contact information is website. So thank you, Anne. That was fun. Thank you, callers. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, people in the chat room. We appreciate your questions. And have a wonderful day. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.